Welcome to Believing the Bible with Scott Lane and Terry Reed of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association with a message of hope in today's troubled world based on biblical truths. We hope that today's program is enlightening and inspirational. Welcome to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane with Terry Reed, Dr. Carl Williams, and our producer, Ed Salswell, all directors at the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association. We are here to reassure you, you can believe the Bible from the very first verse. Today, we have a special guest and another one of our directors, in fact, one of our forming directors with the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association. That's Dr. Daniel Harris. Dr. Harris has an associate's degree from Cerritos in mathematics, also a bachelor's degree in physics from Cal State University. He was one of only two people in 20 years who got that degree in honors. He also has a PhD in astronomy from the University of Arizona. He took an extended period of time to get that, and we'll let him tell a little bit of those stories. Welcome, Dr. Harris, today. Thank you. It's very good to be here. One of the things you were telling us in the product program was that it took you a while to get that PhD because you had to make a living at the same time that you were trying to get a degree. Yes, I did. I did quite a variety of things. (laughs) I was a substitute teacher. I was an observer. Uh, I was the smog photographer of Tucson for for a year. Smog smog photographer. Smog photographer. I got up at the crack of dawn and went to the top of a nearby hill and took a panorama of the of of what was going on in the smog in Tucson. Did they have a large amount of smog? Not really, but they had a goodly bit of stuff coming in from the mountains, from the copper smelter on the other side of of the mountains. Now, from what I've heard, both Phoenix and El Paso do have smog problems. Now they do. They did not when I was there. I moved there. One of the reasons I was so happy to live in Tucson was because it was a very clean air environment when I moved there in 1966. Now, you had a lot of interesting things happened to you along the way to becoming a creation (laughs) astronomer. We probably can't cover them all today. But one interesting thing you told me was initially you thought you wanted to be a physicist and and make a bomb. Oh, yes. I had read Einstein at an early age, and there were lots of bomb tests going off in the Pacific. And and I thought, gee, that would be neat to be building nuclear bombs. And then I had a night vision in which a nuclear bomb went off right outside my window, and it scared me witless. And as a result, I said, okay, I will do anything in physics that is not going to cause. And so I thought, well, astronomy is a good place because I can use physics and astronomy. So you got scared straight. I got scared straight. You got scared straight. (laughs) How well accepted have you been in the field of astronomy as a believer, as a creationist? Well, even the creationists don't like me because I'm too radical for them. Ah. Most of my belief system is based upon scripture in ways that they don't understand. For example, I read in the scripture, says right in the book in Genesis, that the Tower of Babel was made out of brick and mortar. And that told me that it had to be at a time when the ground was not shaking. Well, that told me that the continents could not have split at the time of the flood, but had to have split after the time of the Tower of Babel. Which is contrary to the consensus among most creationists. Uh, Yes, most creationists are holding the opinion that continents split and there was catastrophic plate tectonic movement during the time of the flood. But the, the scripture was very clear to me. And so I have formulated a model in which the, the continents split after. And so even the creationist scientists are appalled at most of what I say. For example, in 1972, I developed a physics in which the speed of light was variable 
which allowed me to understand the Big Bang without a Big Bang, without there being actually a, an expansion of the universe as is modeled by many creationists these days. Russell Humphrey's main advocate of this idea that is based upon Einsteinian relativity. Well, with the speed of light being variable, as I formulated in 1972, we do not need a relativity formulation as Humphreys and others have postulated. We can do it without that, and therefore I have a model of the origin of the universe, which does not have a Big Bang or a, what is presently expanding universe. So as far as contemporary astronomy would be concerned, you've done the ultimate sin. I have done the ultimate sin in terms of conventional astronomy by, yeah. by denying the Big Bang, replacing the Big Bang with an alternative understanding. It's even an ultimate heresy in terms of a creationist scientist because they have their own alternative to the Big Bang. Right. You did so many things while you were hanging around the University of Arizona. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the interesting things that always comes out of astronomy is people say, well, astronomy has shown that the Bible's completely wrong with this 6, 10, 12,000 year time frame, that the universe is multiple billions of years old. Well, you got an, an interesting insight to that in, in that you got to take a look at the Apollo 11 moon rock data. You've made a comment about that data, that it was very bad data. Why would you say such a thing? They measured the moon rocks, and in the first year when the data was coming out, they had ages ranging from just a few billion years all the way up to over 14 billion years, it was such a wide-ranging set of data that there was no way of knowing how old the, the moon was except by people doing evolutionary positing, their speculations. There was no way that these actual measurements of the moon rocks were going to give us a real age of the moon. And so the fact that their ages were so dramatically variable, age was significantly different from the others, meant that there was initially no consensus about the age of the moon at all. Yeah. Actually, the data was just about scatter plot. It was, yeah. it was all over the place. It was all now, at place. that time, by committee, they came up with an yes. age of the moon of about 3 billion years. That was later updated yes. to 4 billion to conform better to evolutionary theories. Yes. But again, you're saying the data in no way supported those the, numbers. The original measure, the actual measurements, when they were done before anybody else knew what anybody else was going to publish, before the prejudices and the committees and all that kind of stuff could put, could be operational, it was a scatter plot. Yes, there was a, a slight concentration of date around three to four billion years, but it ranged all the way. I think the shortest age was about a half a billion years, and the longest age was 14.7 billion years. Mm. And so it was a scatter. A ridiculous range. You are listening to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane with Terry Reed, Dr. Harrow Williams, and our guest today, Dr. Daniel Harris. If you would like to learn more, go to sabsa.org. That is S-A-B-B-S-A.org. Today we're talking about the background of Dr. Harris, one of our original SABSA board members. What do you see in astronomy? today that is in concert with the Bible. Well, there's a lot of things that we know from the Bible that are in agreement with that the earth is in space. It's a sphere. It rotates. All these kinds of things are in scripture. The idea that the heavens were spread out at the beginning of creation is in Isaiah numerous places. And that's something that Mr. Lane here would say is consistent with the expansion of the universe. I disagree, but I know that, that the Lord says he unrolled the heavens like a scroll at the beginning of time. But whichever way we put it, what we're observing in astronomy is consistent with what the Bible says. Many things that we yes. observe. We have observations of comets, which is one of my favorite. There's no way that 
that the comets that we observe can be more than about 10,000 years old. And so the astronomers have posited the existence, speculated about there being a cloud of comets way beyond the edge of the solar system called the Oort cloud, but nobody's ever seen any Oort cloud comets. That Oort cloud comet would come in with a different velocity than the comets that we observe, and nobody's ever seen a comet come in with a velocity that's typical of what it would have if it came in. That's an interesting point, because usually when you hear creationists talk about short-period comets and the fact that they could not exist for more than 10,000 years, and that gives us some of dating for the solar system itself, they never talk about the velocity at which those comets are coming in. Yes, indeed. If the universe is filled with planetary systems, with comets, as the astronomers were speculating when I was a graduate student, they said, well, there's got to be lots and lots of solar systems out there, and they've all got to have comets. And the comets are therefore going to be flying around between the stars in abundance, and some of those comets should be entering into our solar system. Well, Nobody has ever observed what's called a hypervelocity comet, a comet that's coming in with a velocity typical of what you would expect for arriving from interstellar space. That's never been observed. Now, just for the education of our listening audience, when you talk about a comet falling out of the Oort cloud or coming out of the Oort cloud, yes, sir. the Oort cloud is a theoretical area outside of the solar system yes. in which they theorize that there are a whole lot of comet-like icy bodies yes. just floating around out there. But this has never been observed. Never been observed. It was speculated about because it's part of their model of the formation of the solar system. It's my understanding that the Big Bang Theory is premised on the idea that you can look at the universe as it is now, and according to consensus now, it's expanding, and you can work backwards, and if you keep working backwards long enough, eventually the the whole entire universe is in a single point of infinite mass and infinite density. So my question is, how safe of an assumption is that, that you can just keep working backwards? Well, um, obviously the scripture is at odds with this. Making an observation now and working backwards about the so-called expansion of the universe is contingent upon the idea that the movement of the galaxies that we are presently observing is real, that it is not a consequence of some artifact of the speed of light changing over time, which I say it is. If the speed of light is changing over time, then it will make things look like they are receding from us, even though they are not. One of the things that a famous astronomer by the name of Halton Art did was he demonstrated that the so-called redshifts, the measures of the movement of the galaxies, that they are quantized. That means that they are in leaps. They're not a smooth distribution. And the quantization of the redshifts is a strong indicator. They are not something that is a consequence of actual movement, but are a consequence of what's going on inside the nucleus of the galaxies. Dr. Harris, we thank you for this first of what we anticipate to be three programs with this very interesting discussion looking into the universe. Thank you. Information for creation events in our area are on our website's calendar page. For more information or to schedule a presentation, go to sabsa.org or call 210-599-7240. When you go to our website, you can click on a link to our newsletter. Our website has a link for contact information on which you can order our newsletter to be emailed to you or you can call us. Also go to whyshouldyoubelieve.com. That is Terry's website containing articles looking at current day issues from a biblical perspective. Sabsa meets the second 
second Tuesday of each month at 7 p.m. We are now meeting at Faith Lutheran Church just south of the corner of Jones Maltzberger and Thousand Oaks. There you will find biblical apologetics and creation science teaching found nowhere else in Bear County, as well as the availability of books and videos on these important subjects. If you missed any part of this show, you can listen to the show anytime by going to the AM 630 KSLR, the Word in South Texas website. Click on KSLR Podcast, scroll down until you find Believing the Bible. Please join us again next Saturday for Believing the Bible. I'm Scott Lane, and for Terry Reed, Dr. Carl Williams, and Ed Salzwell, thanks for listening, and we hope you found today a reason to believe the Bible. Thank you.